When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host, Georgia Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty, Brian Stone, joined once again this week by Georgia State writer for Underdog Dynasty, Zeke Palermo. Zeke, uh... Some some teams in the conference were able to, uh, you know, kind of get their feet wet as far as uh, conference play goes, mm-hmm. um, with some uh, some surprising results. Actually, uh, I mean, especially considering how close some of these games were. Yeah, I think obviously there were a couple upsets, especially out west. We, I guess, we now have a new top team in the west. Um, uh, a couple teams got much needed wins. Uh, so I thought overall good week, fun week. Uh, excited to talk about it. All right. So let's go ahead and jump right in here. Um, just starting at the top of ESPN.com. Let's talk about your Georgia State Panthers picking up their first win of the season over Army on Saturday. Mm-hmm. The final score of this one was 31 to 14. Zeke, I'm going to be I'm going to be straight with you. I didn't watch a lot of this game. So yeah. sort of give me your takeaways from it and and what what did Georgia State do so well that they hadn't previously done, you know, in their four games before this? Yeah, so um the biggest thing I think within this specific game is that they got out to an early lead. At halftime the Panthers were up 17-0 and as you and I talked about when Army played was it Coastal earlier this year when you get a lead on Army you're in a pretty good spot just because of the style of football at play. Um, but what really separated this game from, say, last game, week's game against Charleston, or I'm sorry, Charlotte, was that um, the Panther, Panthers were running the ball effectively. Tucker Gregg uh, ran for 120-plus yards um, to become the all-time leading uh, rusher at Georgia State, I believe. Jam Williams had a game. Darren Granger rushed for his, you know, 10 plus carries and had a very Darren Granger game, you know, 150 something yards on less than 10 completions. So the biggest difference between uh, last week's really disappointing loss to Charlotte and the win over Army just was the ability to run the ball effectively. And um, I mean, it's no, no secret that if you're not running the ball well, you're not going to win a football game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're running the ball at six and a half yards a carry, like mm-hmm. Georgia State did in this one, you know, James or uh, Darren Granger rather isn't required to throw the football. So even if he only goes, you know, with his final stat line eight of twelve, one fifty-seven, and a touchdown, that's that's totally acceptable when you almost run for you know three hundred yards as a team. Yeah. So <clears throat> credit to. Georgia State in this one uh, rebounded off of what you said, like a really tough loss against Charlotte last week. Um, I I don't know. I don't know what the deal with Army is. I guess this is just sort of the talent there comes in ebbs and flows, I guess, because it's a service academy and you can't really recruit like you. You kind of get who you get mm-hmm. and that's that's what you have to make do with. But they have, I mean, they played a, a respectable game against Coastal in week one. Um, but yeah, the last couple weeks have been pretty rough for them. I mean, lost by 17 to Georgia State, kept it close ish in week two, you know, kept it close enough in week two against UTSA 41 38 in that game. Their only win is over FCS Villanova at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Tucker Gregg. J- Jameis Williams, Jamias uh, yeah. Williams, both those guys. I mean, if you got two running backs going over a hundred 
plus yards each with a touchdown. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, tough yeah. to lose a game. And like you said, we we talked about it a while back. The uh, the game plan for when teams face off with uh, Army is just to get up two scores and then just salt the game away essentially because army can't really do anything to combat that mm-hmm. uh no pun intended um so yeah georgia state moves to one and four army drops to one and three uh let's get into a sunbelt uh conference game in this one james madison uh absolutely handled texas state 40 to 13 um yeah texas state this is just another another notch or another I don't know. I don't know what the the phrase to use is, but this is another strike, I guess, against the uh, the coaching tenure yeah. of uh, of what's Spavidol. his name Spavidol at Texas State. I mean, two hundred and forty six yards of total offense for Texas State. You turn the ball over four times. JMU turned the ball over three times, and I I don't know. I mean, the fact that you can only kind of barely get 13 points out of out of the bobcats i think it's time if it wasn't already fully apparent it's time for a change in san marcos yeah i think the uh the biggest thing was that uh, you mentioned jamie turned the ball over three times and i get it if you're gonna lose a game those happen but they were only able to put up 13 points after being gifted the ball with great field position um three times like you talked about with those turnovers James Madison at uh, it was I believe in the f- second quarter fumbled the ball. First mm-hmm. ball, Texas State threw pick six. <laughs> so it's just like it's not like they were beat; they just played poorly, and um, which is unfortunate. At half the like the Georgia State game, this was nineteen nothing at half. Um, you know, there was a safety, a pick six. So I mean, they scored on every quite literally every phase of the. Um, I guess not special teams, but they didn't score t- special teams touchdown, but they scored offensive and defensive touchdowns and a safety. It was just, God, it was ugly, man. It really, really was. Yeah. Uh, so all of the, or, I mean, most of the damage for James Madison came on the ground in this one. Uh, running back Latrell Palmer took the, took the uh, sort of the onus on himself. 106 on 27 carries, three, sco- three scores. Todd Centeo, didn't have his sharpest game throwing the football, uh, mm-hmm. just 15 of 25 and threw an interception, um, but added 52 yards and a score of his own on the ground. This is just absolute domination uh, by the Dukes. Uh, Texas State never really never really felt like they had a shot, uh, even going into this game, and this pretty much just solidified it. Like I said, this may be uh, sort of the swan song last couple games for uh, Spavadol because when they lose, it's ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 typically don't lose. You know, close ones. You got. I know they played Baylor, but it was forty-two to seven. They lose by twenty-four to open the season against Nevada. Uh, I mean, their two wins are against an FCS Houston Christian uh, team and FIU. So, the way that I look at their schedule now, I mean, that might be the last. The, the Houston Christian game last week might be their last win of the season, the way that they've played this year. No, that's so, really feasible, and I'm curious if that's the case. I'm not a believer in firing a guy midseason. Uh, I, I just think that kind of puts your program in a weird spot because you got to have an interim for you know however many le- weeks, but I'm curious how long they, uh, they wait to pull the trigger. Well, I, I mean, speaking from experience, as a – yeah. As a as a fan of a team that's fired its last two coaches midseason, I actually don't mind it all that much, especially when you're in a spot like Texas State is in, because it does a few things. Number one, you get your coaching search started super early. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not and, and with Texas State as a job, I feel like you do need as much possible time to kind of vet candidates as you can get, because it's less about it's less about you attracting or it's less about a coach accepting that job and more about you attracting a coach to come there. Yes. Because I mean, look at their recent program history. It's been nothing. So you need to like attract an FCS head coach or a, an offensive coordinator that 
is, uh, you know, a coordinator from some school that wants to endure sort of a rebuilding project. So, mm. yeah. And plus it puts everybody on notice that no one's spot is safe. I mean, once you go down the rabbit hole of being like, hey, we're not making a bowl game. This season's not going to amount to much. Let's just start throwing got different guys in there in combinations and just see what we can do. So I actually don't hate it, especially when you know that your season is going to be cooked because like I said, Georgia Southern did it last year with Lunsford. We knew five games into that season. I mean, there were some outside circumstances that came into play, but there five games into that season. Everybody knew Georgia Southern was cooked last year. They weren't going to do anything. So I actually didn't mind it because I mean, I think we had, and I'm not saying they're going to get this sort of coach, but I think we had Helton hired by like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Or, or something like that. So it was pretty early that they had announced that they had brought him on board. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think they need to take plenty of time with this coaching search and find the right candidate. So I actually don't hate firing Spath at all earlier okay. than later um, because everybody knows the guy's gone anyway. So, I mean, you have to re- you also have to try to avoid the team just co- totally giving up, like not even putting any effort in and not listening to the coaches and things like that. So. Um, but yeah, James Madison continues to be perfect. 4-0 this season, 2-0 in Sunbelt play. Texas State drops to 0-1 in Sunbelt play and 2-3 and on the season. This will be a quick one uh, that we'll just run through really quick. App State blanks the Citadel at home, 49-0. Uh, this was the Chase Bryce show. Uh, well, rather, the Cameron Peoples and Chase Bryce show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then everybody else just sort of kind of fell in line, but... Yeah, not much to to add in this one. They beat up on a an FCS, you know, service academy triple option type school. Yeah, my only hesitation, and again in a blowout, you can't take the second half like super super seriously. But uh, after going up, what is that, thirty five nothing through the first half? App State only put up fourteen in the second. And what we talked about last week and the week before and the week before is is App State able to close out games. Um, obviously this game was like well out of question and they still blanked the Citadel, but you know, maybe would have liked one more touchdown in the second half. If we're going to, you know, if we're going to forget what app state's done the past couple weeks. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a couple of just beyond the fact that they won this game. Obviously I think there's a couple of positives to take away that maybe app can hopefully emulate as the season sort of goes along, number one being they didn't turn the football over, Mm -hmm. um, which is huge. You know, anytime you can play a clean game, that's big. Uh, They forced two turnovers at the Citadel. Uh, They only held the ball in this game for 20 minutes total. Uh, The Citadel actually had the ball for 40 minutes of this game. It didn't put up a single point, which is hard to believe. But I mean, you look at some of these scoring drives. I mean, in the second quarter, 15 seconds, 46 seconds, third quarter 15 seconds i mean they were scoring quick so i think it's a positive to know that you can score fast if you have to um but yeah i mean maybe there's a little bit of concern there about taking your foot off the gas like you said because of what we saw against jmu but mm-hmm. i don't know uh, it, it, like there's not a lot to glean from this one just because the oh, level yeah. of competition is just so much different um but App moves to three and two this season. Citadel is one and three. Uh, let's get to, down to another FCS Sunbelt matchup that we can kind of breeze through. Marshall uh, welcomed in Gardner Webb, and uh, the the Thundering Herd uh, came away with a twenty eight to seven win, their third win of the season. Uh, this was the Kalen Layborn show. Um, I don't know if Rasheen Ali is coming back. Um, like you said, I think you said a couple of weeks ago he rejoined the team at practice, right? Yeah, he's been back with the team. He took, uh, I believe it was only really two weeks uh, away, and he was uh, he returned to practice fairly quick, but we haven't seen him in game yet. So, you know, he's still well, dealing with whatever it was. At least for this season, he may want to watch out because his job, uh, I mean, is there anything at this point that you could have asked Kalen Laybourne to do filling in for Rasheen Ali that he hasn't really done. I mean, he's been more than an adequate replacement. I mean, he's doing exactly what Ali did last year, and that was, you know, carry the ball 30-plus times, 
run for 150 some odd yards and score at least uh, once a game. And it makes me curious, and this is always, I feel, a question about running backs, is how good was Rasheen Ali last year if they were able to plug and play someone so, so well? Not to discredit Laybourne or Ali, but it maybe makes you wonder about scheme and these offensive linemen. How good were these uh, are these running backs if they're if they're able to plug and play so easily? Well, I I do think both of them are really talented. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of different circumstances for each. I think Ali is talented. Uh, I'm not I'm not meaning to take anything away from him, but I was talking to somebody this weekend who was sort of keeps up with uh, ACC football pretty close, and he told me that Layborn came in as like a four star recruit at Florida State and just got into some trouble. I don't know if he meant like wasn't attending class or if it was legal stuff or whatever, mm-hmm. but basically he is his talent level, like out out paces that of the typical Sunbelt running back. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there's no way he could have known that Ali was going to step away from the team, you know, two weeks before the season started, but he's taken full advantage of this opportunity. I mean, the guy has, 731 yards and eight touchdowns I mean through five games and like I said there's not too much more you could ask for from him um but yeah I mean uh, again 35 carries 191 two scores uh really just pacing this Marshall offense because I mean without Ali you know whether they're not playing him because he's not ready or or what have you I mean if he's with the team you'd think he'd be playing but mm-hmm. if they didn't have Layborn at this point I mean I think that offense would be really tough to watch Yeah they've uh after a really hot start my boy Henry Columby shout out um <laughs> he started real hot but all of a sudden they're starting to look at this like two quarterback system um and I can't seem to figure out when or what situations they're going between Columby and Fancher. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've been swapping in and out. I mean, it was 20 to 13 Columby to Fancher pass attempts. Um, and neither gained, obviously, ESPN counts a sack as a negative rushing yard, I believe. But uh, neither had an astounding game on the ground. So I, I can't make heads or tail of that. But, I mean, they've they've got two okay game manager quarterbacks right now. So without Laybourne, they'd be, uh, I mean, they'd just be treading water. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is it's like Fancher's a freshman. Mm-hmm. Colin B is a senior. If, if you're, if you're going into next year with Fancher being the, the quarterback of choice, then I guess it makes sense to get him some game reps and just get him up to game speed for next season. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes less sense doing it, like, in games like last week. I mean, they they weren't particularly competitive against Troy. But, I mean, that game was still fairly close, and it was weird that they were subbing them in and out pretty, uh, you know, willy-nilly, it felt like. So, I don't know, man. Like I said, maybe they're just getting him kind of ready for next year. But either way, Marshall comes away with a 28-7 win. Marshall moves to 3-2. and two this season um let's get to that west matchup that you kind of alluded to earlier south alabama outlasts louisiana and kicks a game-winning field goal at the buzzer um to come away with a 20 to 17 win over the defending sunbelt champion cajuns um full disclosure this game was a lot closer than i thought it was going to be uh because i thought south alabama is head head and shoulders at this point in the season better than Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if we're doing shout outs for our preseason, you know, <laughs> breakout player picks, Chris Smith looked good in this one. He had 12 carries for one Oh seven for the Cajuns. Um, I don't know, man, that quarterback situation for Louisiana is just tough. I don't, I don't like, I don't really like either of fields or Wooldridge what I've seen from them this year. So yeah, all credit to South Alabama. Yeah, um, talking about quarterback play, I think South Alabama, South Alabama did. I, I don't think this. They did get away with a, an oddly inefficient game from Carter Bradley. Uh, he mm-hmm. was shooting under 50% on the day, but still passed for 245 yards, um, which is just 
maybe one of the weirder stat lines I've ever seen from a quarterback. Um, and then you look at, you know, the passes, he had a 43 yarder, but outside of that, he most, his furthest pass was 22 yards. So, um, don't know what happened there. Uh, I agree that this game was a little closer than we both anticipated. Um, maybe makes you wonder if Louisiana has a little bit more than we're giving them credit for. But at this point in the season, I just need to see like a really good win from the Cajuns and, Right now, that hasn't come. No, I mean, you're like, maybe there's a little bit more to them. I mean, they already have two conference losses. Yeah, like, yeah they the lost, cha- you lost to UL Monroe and South Alabama. I like, I need a good win. But- oh, I know. But I mean, I mean, as far as yeah, we knew it was a long shot, the mm-hmm. way that they had been playing. But the, but as far as contending for the Sunbelt West, I mean, now that they've lost to South Alabama, that almost feels like they're just out of it. Like they're just not. There's no chance of that. Yeah, oh and two. I think you're, you're done. Um, yeah, unless South Alabama itself just sputters and you know and drops three or four. Uh, I mean, but that's not going to happen. So, well, you never know. Uh, never it's know. a it, it's a weird week to week sport. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think the most credit I want to give is to Louisiana's defense though, because when you look at it, you talked about how inefficient Carter Bradley was. I mean, South Alabama only ran for 116 yards as a team, 3.1 yards per carry. Um, They just, when you look at the stats, it's like South Alabama really didn't do much. They just did just enough. I mean, obviously with them kicking the the field goal, I mean, Mm. also credit to their offense for going down. I mean, Louisiana scored with 42 seconds to go in the game uh, on a one-yard touchdown pass from Woolridge to, I think this guy's name is Pierce Miggle. I, I, I'm sure there's some weird yeah, Louisiana there's no, way. There's no letter in between the G and the L, right? It's M-I-G-L? I'm sure there's some weird Cajun way to pronounce <laughs> that name that isn't isn't readily apparent to those that don't live in the state of Louisiana. But credit to the Jaguars uh, for going down the field with 42 seconds and booting a, a 43-yard field goal to to win this one. Um, Diego Guadajaro, Guajardo uh, came through big for them in the clutch. So, yeah, South Alabama's kind of staked their claim as the as the 1A, or just the number one, rather, in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, so South Alabama moves to 4-1, and 1-0 in Sunbelt play. Louisiana, like we mentioned, 0-2 in Sunbelt play, drops to 2-3 and this season. Um Getting down to a game that I actually was surprised by how not close it was. Mm-hmm. Liberty defeats Old Dominion 38-24. Uh, Old Dominion was able to put up plenty of yards in this one, but just couldn't score. I mean, you look at it, they had 415 yards of total offense. They had almost the same amount of first downs as Liberty. They had the same amount of turnovers as Liberty. It's just... I don't know what's up with their offense. Maybe they just, maybe they just see ghosts in the end zone, and that just scares them, and they just don't feel like scoring. But like, I don't, I don't really get why they can put up yards and no points. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. They had a chance. I mean, if you look at the, excuse me, if you look at the, you know, box score or ESPN's like win probability, it wasn't like super out of hand for Old Dominion. Um, they just were unable to put up any points in that like back half of the game. Uh, throughout the second half, they only scored seven points um, to to Liberty's seventeen. So it's just like you've got to like the. I'm gonna say this: there, there are people that get paid far more money than you and I do, Brian, to make these calls. But um, I've always thought that high yardage but low points is an indication of poor coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying fire your guy, but that that's just what really you're talking about that yardage to points, lack of correlation that that's my response to it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that killed the monarchs in this one was their inability to stop the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liberty had two different running backs go over a hundred yards in this one day, day hunter, uh, for the flames really paced them, uh, one twenty one and two touchdowns. 
And and I think the most impressive thing as far as this stat line goes, his longest run was only 32 yards, but yeah. he averaged 8.1 yards a carry. So he was just ripping off chunk after chunk after chunk on the ground. And it seems like Old Dominion didn't really have an answer. Uh, Hayden Wolf played fairly okay. It played fairly well. Um, when you look at the final numbers, didn't have a great completion percentage, but that connection that he has with with Jennings, the third, is mm-hmm. just it's something special. But like I said last week, it's just not going to be enough. You need something else. You need another element to that team that makes it so that teams can't just say, oh, we're going to let Jennings get his and then we'll just figure it out from here because that's kind of what happened. And then, like you said, he the old dominion just didn't score basically in the second half. I mean, they scored one touchdown and got outscored. What? Uh, 17 to seven. Yeah. In the second, in the, half. In the second half. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, just an ugly, uh, offensive second half performance for old dominion, but yeah. Dude, so learning about weapons, if I can yeah. jump in real quick, a little reminiscent of last year, obvious, uh, Last year's South Alabama squad. Uh, obviously, Ali Jennings isn't getting the sheer volume Jalen Tolbert was. But this is wasn't this what South Alabama was last year? They've got they've got an okay quarterback and they've got a pretty stinking good receiver, but they just had no other weapons. Um, you know, Jalen Wayne was so, very good, but he wasn't by any means elite, and he couldn't really make a point to anyone in that running back room last year that was absolutely absurd so um just when we're looking at um old dominion as a whole like that i'm just really really reminded of last year's south alabama team yeah i i mean the one thing uh, i i would honestly say that the quarterback situation for old dominion is better than south alabama's was last year mm. uh they dealt with a lot of injuries they had the, they kept doing this weird thing. So Bentley was their starter, and he would get hurt and come out. And then they were doing this thing where they didn't believe in uh, Desmond Trotter, so they would put him in for a little bit, and then they'd sub him out for, I believe it was Carter Bradley. I, I can't remember who the other quarterback was, but they were just they were playing musical chairs at the quarterback yeah. position all season long. So I credit to Old Dominion, their quarterback situation is is easily more stable than what the Jaguars did last year, but. Regardless, they dropped a two and three. Uh, and, you know, it is, it kind of is what it is. Uh, getting into uh, my game, uh, Georgia Southern played Coastal Carolina, uh, kept this one closer uh, against the chance uh, that I, that I uh, imagined they would. However, I mean, Georgia Southern just has like one of the worst defenses, I think, in college football, statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, they just can't stop anybody from doing anything. And I don't, I, I think it's a, like a top down thing. Like, I don't think they have the talent to keep up with a lot of these offenses, but then on the same token, like some of the schemes they're running are just absolutely awful. Um, I mean, they, they run these like soft zone, the soft zone pass defense and they just get eaten alive by other quarterbacks. I don't really know what they're expecting to happen that hasn't happened the first five, four games of the season, but it's not going to change now. It's weird that they just keep going back to this well. But yeah, so I'm looking now, total defense-wise, Georgia Southern ranks 115th in the country out mm-hmm. of 131 teams. So I but think... The, where do they the, rank offensively? Because this team, I mean, you say they allowed 34, they scored 30. Yeah, let me let me look. Uh, um, but yeah, it, just kind of going back to what I'm saying, I think they need wholesale changes after this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so total offense yardage wise, they rank 11th in the country. So talk about a tale of two sides, because sure. the, like I said, I, I can't harp on this enough how bad that defense is. It's just absolutely terrible. Um, I mean, that final drive. Uh, uh, that coastal put on i mean credit to grayson mccall he's a great quarterback i'll never say that he's not but georgia southern just never they like never even entertained stopping someone for coastal yeah like it, it never crossed their mind so yeah credit to coastal uh they did defensively man coastal 
does not tackle. Mm-hmm. They just don't. And that's that's why this game was as close as it was. Yeah. Um I obviously you watched this game so much closer than I did. I was really entertained though by the fourth quarter. Um, you know, thirty-three combined points between the two teams in the fourth quarter alone. Um and what and I'd love to get your football theory opinion on this, Brian. Um twice on Georgia Southern's second and you know, penultimate and then third to last drive, y'all took the points from the yep. twelve and what was it, from the four or the three? Mm-hmm. You took the points. Is that the right decision there? Uh obviously Coastal went down and scored a touchdown after that second field goal, but like are you taking the points there? So <clears throat> I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with this, but the I didn't mind it when they did it with eight minutes left in the game. I did mind it when they did it with 205 to go, because if you look at the fourth quarter, Coastal had already scored two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It, they Coastal, it, it, when you kick a field goal from 20 yards out like Southern did and only go up two, a field goal by Coastal is the end of the story anyway. So I didn't really understand that aspect of it. But so, the play calling, man, on that on that series, that to goal to go series, uh, or, or that set of plays, just didn't make any sense. Like Georgia Southern was neither committed toward throwing the football, trying to score, or running the clock as low as they could and taking the field goal. They like split the difference, yeah, which ended up screwing them because. Coastal took their final timeout. The way the series played out was like this. Coastal had a timeout. Georgia Southern had the ball with like 2.30 to go and got inside the 10. Georgia Southern threw the ball on first down. It was incomplete. They ran the ball on second. No, sorry. They ran the ball on second down and didn't get anything. So the clock starts running, but Coastal takes a timeout. Then third down, they try to, they try to throw the ball again, and it's incomplete. So basically they burnt like no time mm-hmm. and that's why Coastal had as much time as they had. I mean, it was just, it's mind boggling some of the, the mistakes that they make. Um, but like I said, they, they also play w- with this, this play calling on the final, you know, penultimate series as if they have a top flight defense that they can depend on. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know at what point it's going to get through Helton's head that your defense is one of the worst in the country. So like the offense and the aggressiveness needs to play like, Oh God, if they get the ball and we're up less than a a field goal, we're screwed because that's how that's, that's the, that's the attitude you have to have when your defense is that bad. That being said, I, I thought the offense played great. No complaints really with them. Um, but I mean, we'll get into this when we when we talk about next week's matchup and go on. I don't feel comfortable picking Georgia Southern to win a game the rest of this season. Like mm-hmm. with the defense that they play, I can't I can't depend on them because the offense has to score thirty five or more every week to win a game. Yeah, and that's never guaranteed. So like, I don't know. But like I said, Coastal came away with the win. But defensively, man, they've got a lot of problems because if if Georgia Southern's keeping it within one score with you and you're supposed to be the top of the mountain and Georgia Southern, this is a rebuilding, you know, first year out from running the option type mm-hmm. season. That's it's not good. Uh, but anyway, Coastal picks up the win. They, they move to five and oh, they're two and oh in conference play. Georgia Southern drops to three and two and oh and one in conference play. Uh, let's get into this next game. UL Monroe coming off of their big victory last week against rival Louisiana. Uh, ended up taking a kind of a beating at the hands of Arkansas State. Arkansas State looks much improved from the Red Wolves team that we saw last year uh, that was really struggling to do much of anything. But yeah, the Red Wolves come away 45 to 28 uh, victorious. James Blackman was was sharp in this one, 25 of 32, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And and they, they ran the ball a little bit. And uh, I mean, they played enough defense. To, to win, which is more than we saw out of the Red Wolves last year. Yeah, uh, not a ton to complain about from UL Monroe's offense. They scored a touchdown in every period. Um, no one was obscenely incredible, but no one was obscenely poor. 
Uh, they they spread the ball passing through the air really well. Outside of uh, Al, uh, Alred Luke and um, Malik Jackson, they had like six or seven guys with one catch, which is interesting. You know, they they trust guys to make those plays. But as you touched on, Arkansas State ran the ball well. Um, and mm-hmm. that may be in part because the game was out of hand fairly quickly. Um, you know, UL Monroe was only hanging around. Uh, so, you know, you're rushing the ball a little more, just get the clock moving. But I, I was impressed by the uh, Brian Sneed and uh, Johnny Lang. I thought they both ran the ball fairly well. Sneed with 74, Lang with 46 yards. Um, and I think that's what Arkansas State's been missing. Obviously, the defense, you'd like a little bit more. Um, although 28, uh, when you're scoring as much as they do, will do the job. But I feel like they, at least this week, showed us a performance where like, hey, we can run the ball and – that's what you and I have been talking about is like, that's the one thing they've been missing is any semblance of a run game. Yeah, I agree. And, and to your point about uh, UL Monroe's sort of receiving numbers and having all these guys with one catch a piece. I mean, when Chandler Rogers only completes 12 balls the entire game mm-hmm. in a college football game, that's, that's going to happen. Uh, that's, that's pretty poor as far as passing numbers go, but yeah, I mean, UL Monroe, like you said, just couldn't couldn't really get much started. Uh, they had Malik Jackson. You mentioned him. Rogers was just not not that great. Um, One thirty eight in a game where you're down for most of it. It desperately needs scores. Uh, I I just don't understand how in a game where you are down two plus scores for the majority of it, you only throw the ball 20 times. I just don't, I don't get that. That doesn't seem to make any sense, but again, credit to Arkansas state. They seem much better than what we saw out of them last year. They were pretty, pretty poor last year. And this year they've at least got some fight in them. You know, we kind of saw that against uh, Memphis a couple weeks ago. They lost a, a, a close one to Old Dominion last week, but they're they're in most of these games. It's not like they're just getting their you know doors blown off anymore. So again, credit to them. Yeah, this uh, leaves me real. Ne- if one more thing, if I could jump in, um, this leaves me uncertain about what to feel about Monroe because last week we beat they beat Louisiana, and obviously we talked about Louisiana is not what they were even one year ago, but. You know, you play a four-point game against Louisiana, but then lose by, what is that, 12, what is that? I don't, can't do my math right now. 17 to uh, Arkansas State. Which side of the extreme is it going to be, you know? Well, I I would chalk it up to a emotional win against a rival and, and a rival in Louisiana that can't score points. Mm-hmm. So... That's kind of where I'm just going to leave it. I, sure. I think it was a good win for what it was, and and they had been sort of tormented by the Cajuns for a while. So this that sort of felt like they were getting their you know revenge, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that was a nice win for what it was, but I don't think you can extrapolate that uh, for for the rest of the season or anything. I think it was kind of a one off. But so so uh, yeah, let's get into this next game. Troy upsets Western Kentucky in Bowling Green. Um, a real shootout here. Jarrett Dagey uh, faces his old college team coming in for uh, Gunnar Watson and throws two fourth quarter touchdowns seven minutes apart to sort of seal up the win for the Trojans. Listen, <clears throat> I say this as somebody who's planted my flag on Gunnar Watson Island. They may need to like make a take a full evaluation period of what Daigie could bring to that offense because they had really struggled the last couple weeks. I mean, they were good against App, but obviously lost on that Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Then last week they played Marshall and they they don't score an offensive touchdown. Um, the points outside of the App State game and this one have been few and far between. Like I said, maybe they need to see what day he's got and maybe give him a shot. And I hate to say that, like I said, as somebody who, who kind of picked Gunnar Watson as, as a guy preseason that I like. Yeah. Diggy, he was uh seven for eight for 71 yards. So averaging, you know, 10 yards per throw, which is 
pretty good. Uh, not elite, but the I mean, what really stood out is the seven for eight, and then obviously two of those being for scores. Um, DK Billingsley rushed for uh, 120 plus, which was a, a, a good look for um, for Troy. It was just like Western Kentucky did not win, want to win this football game. They went to <laughs> half up four. And then in the second half, you get outscored 21 to 10. It was just like, they, I'm not saying they were trying to sell because obviously they weren't. But if if we were watching a Hollywood movie, you think that maybe it would have been in the script that Western Kentucky was supposed to blow this one. Well, so uh, that's sort of the thing with this Western Kentucky air raid style offense is like you sort of live and die by it. Mm-hmm. Like when it works, it's great. And you're whipping the ball all over the field with Austin. And Austin Reed played well in this. I mean, he threw for 406 and three scores. That's not typically the type of numbers that you see quarterbacks put up on Troy's defense. But the, when you don't, they don't really have any variety to their offense. Like they cannot, I mean, Western Kentucky could not run the ball. So everything fell under the shoulders of Reed. And if he couldn't convert those throws into points in the second half, which is what we saw, you can throw the ball as many times as you want. If it doesn't work, like you're out of options. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we saw. Like I said, credit to uh, Troy for, for holding Western Kentucky to 27. They're a pretty high flying offense, but yeah, like I said, with Daigie seven of eight, 71 yards, two, two touchdowns, no picks. Like I said, there might be a little bit of a, uh, an evaluation that needs to take place. So we'll see. Uh, so let's get into next week's slate of games this coming Saturday. Let's open up with two o'clock. Uh, our teams, you and I are facing off. Uh, Georgia Southern travels to Georgia state. Zeke, I have a question that I like to ask people who are sort of involved in both of these programs. Okay. And I'll give my take on this. I've given my take on this before, and it's not a popular one with with either fans of state or southern. Do you do you really feel like this is a like heated rivalry? And if so, like if you do, why? So, um, I'm from Georgia. Uh, I grew up, you know, and I I grew up when. Southern still claimed GSU, right? So it was always state, not Southern or Southern, not state. Um, Right. And I don't know if heated is like the right word because these two teams, I don't think this is a situation like in Alabama, Auburn, where, you know, you go down to Statesboro wearing a a Panthers hat. No, no, you're not going to get, you know, slurs and ever, you know, stuff thrown at you. Like it's, you know, 1950. Um, but I do think these two teams as like the third and fourth schools in the state behind tech in Georgia, it's like, I don't know how to describe it because it's not like a bitter hatred rivalry for one another. Like I'm trying to draw a modern comparison, but I really can't right now. It's just like, it feels almost like a professional sports rivalry, you know? where you dislike those fans or you dislike that team, but you don't hate them, you know, unless we're talking like Yankees, Red Sox, Lakers, Celtics, like, you know, well, I, I, going back to the Georgia comparison, I actually think new Orleans and Atlanta in football gets pretty heated. No, it the, most like, certainly does. Those fans legitimately do not like each other. Uh, so I I've given my take on this before and I'll, I'll see what you think about it. Cause I've, I've written about this and and said this on Twitter. And like I said, there's even Southern fans that get mad at me for saying this. This feels like the least organic rivalry there is. Um, Because here's the thing. I know, and a lot of fans know how the sausage got made, so to speak, with this rivalry. Like, Tom Kleinlein, Georgia Southern's AD at the time, and I don't know what state's AD at the time's name was. Forgive forgive me. They sat down and basically cooked this up. Mm-hmm. Like, they introduced this trophy for a rivalry game with this weird point system that included, like, student-athlete GPAs and, like, the results of 
every sporting event between the two schools. And it was this weird thing that no one could keep up with. It was like this nebulous thing that like no one had a handle on what it was or how to even keep track of. So everybody just pretty much didn't bother with it. Sure. Um, And I've written about this before and I've used this exact analogy. This is how I feel. This rivalry is as organic to me as Coca-Cola. Like, because I, again, not many times outside of maybe what civil conflict with UCF and UConn, do you know the details that went into how the rivalry game got started? And it just, it takes a lot out of it for me. Also adding to the fact, like, I know that Georgia State needed a rival. Like when Georgia Southern kind of moved up, Georgia State didn't have an inherent rival as far as I know. Mm -hmm. Um, Georgia Southern moved up in a package deal with App, who we have a heated rivalry with, a heated rivalry that has lasted years. And even going back to the FCS years, I, I know that Georgia Southern fans hated Furman way more than they've ever hated Georgia state. Um, when they played, uh, Georgia's Georgia Southern used to have to run commercials when they played Furman that said, Hey, remember who's in the stands. Don't curse at (laughs) games because there's kids here. So like, I never heard that for a Georgia state game. Now, granted the Georgia state has recently been on the, the winning end of it. But, uh, for me personally, I I don't know a lot of Georgia State fans, and I, I've been to Atlanta a lot, and it, I don't know. It just it, – it, when we lose to State, I'm kind of just like, okay. It's sure. like losing to Troy for me. Yeah. Like I, I just don't I – don't, I don't care. Like it, a lo- it's a loss, and I move on. When we lose to App, especially when it's close, I like grit my teeth, and I don't get that reaction – no matter what the score is in this this rivalry. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, like I said, I, I have some resentment toward it just because I know everything that went into it behind the scenes to make it happen. So I just, I, I kind of have to discount it in my mind. Sure. Um, but let's look at this, this year's game. Uh, Georgia Southern travels to Center Park, a.k.a. Turner Field, uh, <laughs> and, and takes on the Panthers' Uh, Georgia State is a two and a half point home favorite over under 65. I, I, I'm not going to pick a side, but I actually kind of like the over of 65. Um, both these teams can score. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them statistically plays a lot of defense. Like I said, Georgia Southern is a bottom 15 defense in the country. Um, and Georgia State gives up almost as many total yards. So... I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's going to be whoever has the ball last, but I think there's going to be a ton of points. I cannot see this game being a defensive slugfest. No, I agree with you. I think uh, both teams are kind of going to be able to play their preferred style of football. Um, You know, Georgia State has kind of been trampled by opposing quarterbacks. Grayson McCall had a great game. Um, Drake Drake May had a... uh, a fantastic game when he came to Atlanta. So, you know, Georgia State secondary is not, I think, what many people anticipated it would be this season thus far. Um, so Vantrese is going to be able to th- sling the ball. Um, but I I think especially after last week against Army, who's notorious for just being, like, really strong and gritty, the fact that they, uh, Georgia State was able to run as well as they did last week, I think they'll be able to repeat. Um I don't know. You mentioned not being like super confident picking Georgia Southern for another game this year. At least in this game, I don't feel super confident taking state. I don't, I'm not saying I think Southern will win, but I don't know if I can like, I'm staying away from this game. If I'm putting any sort of money on anything. Yeah. I I think this one's a true coin flip Mm -hmm. to be totally honest. Um, I just, I think there's going to be a lot of points. I think both offenses are going to be able to do anything they want. I think, like you said, Van Treese is going to be able to throw it or Jalen White can run it. And then on the flip side, if good Darren Granger shows up, the uh, the Dr. Jekyll uh, yeah. Darren Granger shows up, I think he'll be able to throw the ball. And I think Tucker Gregg or Jemias Williams or you know whoever 
uh, are going to be able to to do whatever they want. I just think it's this is just going to be a track meet in my eyes. So, yeah, I actually like the over 65 and a half, especially if both of these teams start fast, because that's been the thing with Georgia Southern's offense is like they're they're potent and they can they can put up a ton of points in one quarter, as we saw last week, but they just don't start quickly. Like yeah. it takes them a long time to kind of get going. Um, but yeah, that's a two o'clock kick. So moving on to this next game, seven o'clock Eastern time, James Madison's going to travel to Jonesboro uh, to take on Arkansas state. JMU is a 10 and a half point favorite on the road. Uh, over under is 57 and a half. I, I, I like the over in this one as well. Um, Arkansas state still got a little bit of a leaky defense. We know James Madison can put up points. Um, Arkansas state wants to throw the ball and, and has shown the ability to run the ball a little bit, but at at heart, they're still a spread team and want to throw it all over the field with Blackman. So I I think this one goes over. I I mean, James Madison has shown that they can put up 40 plus on their own. And I think Arkansas state could easily contribute, you know, three touchdowns. So yeah. Yeah. Looking at the over under, uh, I'm with you on the over. Uh, I mean, for all the reasons you just said, um, but looking at the game itself, I like James Madison here. Um, ten and a half point favorites as we record this. And um, I mean, both of these offenses you just mentioned are absolutely electric. Arkansas State's is leaky, but James Madison has been very, very solid. Um, Middle Tennessee, Norfolk State allowed only seven to each of those teams. Held App State to 28, which I think is enough. Uh, you know, you think you can outscore 28 fairly easily Held Texas state to only 13 last week. So I think JMU covers the 10 and a half spread. I do too. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like the spread. I love, I love the over mm-hmm. of 57 and a half. So I think JMU wins that one fairly comfortably, but I do think Arkansas state can score maybe even a couple garbage time scores if it gets out of hand and, and sort of give you that you know, backdoor cover or what have you. Yeah. Um, another seven o'clock Eastern time kick app state is going to travel to San Marcos uh, to maybe put the final nail in the Jake Spavadol coffin. We'll have to see if that happens, but app state is a 19 point favorite on the road over under, and this one's 55 and a half. I actually don't, I, I think app state's going to win obviously because they're just a better team front to back. However, 19 points is a lot because what I could see happening is App State getting up 28 to, let's say, 7. And they score again, and it's 35-7. And then I could see Texas State like scoring 10 points and just screwing you at the end. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like App in this one to win, but that's a lot of points, and I just don't. I don't know that Texas State's going to be able to keep pace and keep, kind of keep App's interest in scoring in this one. Yeah, uh, I mean, 19 points, as you said, is like a, just such a weird number because that's that's just a step beyond like still kind of being in the game, but it's a step below being an absolute and utter blowout. Um, I think this game is going to go a lot similarly to how the uh, the James Madison game went for Texas State last week. I think it'll be a fairly ugly one in which we don't see like a ton of competitive football. I mean, but that comes to no one's surprise. Um, it's just going to be like, does App State finally prove that they can play four really good quarters of football, or are they still going to keep putting that off? Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. But I I do think that they win this one fairly comfortably. I just don't know that they are going to be able to I don't know that they're going to stay like I said interested long enough to win this by three touchdowns or mm-hmm. something along those lines um, getting into another seven o'clock eastern time kick Southern Miss uh, is going to travel to Troy Southern Miss getting a week off last week and is going to take on the Trojans um, Troy is a six and a half point favorite over under is 45 and a half I think Troy needs to be very careful that they don't fall into a trap here coming out, coming off of two back-to-back wins over Marshall and Western Kentucky, because this is the type of game that typically, at least in the Chip Lindsay era, Troy would start to 
kind of gained some momentum, it felt like, and then they would just absolutely fall apart against a team that you're like, oh, they should have beaten them. What happened? So, uh, yeah, like I said, they may want to take another look and see if Daigie needs to come in and 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 play uh, to give that offense and passing game some life. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'll take Southern Miss plus six and a half. I don't know that they win this game, but Troy has a history of sort of doing this post Neil Brown. Sure. Um, I think I, I like your take on that. This could be a, a, a trap game. Um, but I, what really concerns me is just like Southern Miss has nothing going for them offensively. Um, and as we've seen time and time again, Troy's defense is, you know, at the very least, what, top two, three in the conference. Um so, like, as much as I this feels like a real trap game, I don't think Southern Miss has the the weapons or the personnel in place to actually capitalize, even if Troy were to be caught on their heels a little bit. Um, like, Frank Gore, he had a big old game the first week, maybe the second too, but he's done nothing. Southern Miss uh, has had a bit of a quarterback controversy. Um, they, they don't have, like, a true, true running back outside of Frank Gore, and he's... Like I just said, he's been stumbling. So as much as this feels like a trap game, I just like looking at this. I'm like, there's no way Southern Miss pulls that off. I mean, I thought the same thing about Southern Miss when they played Tulane mm-hmm. on the road and, and they won 27-24 in that game. I don't know. Maybe they figured some things out with Zach Wilkie. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I just... I think Tulane and Troy are comparable teams, especially I watched that Tulane. I know we're not a conference USA or American podcast or whatever, but I watched that, uh, uh, the, the Houston Tulane game last week and Tulane looks sharp. So I don't know if Southern Miss just flat out played them or, or what happened in that, but I, I could kind of see something similar happening, but I mean, I could see them losing by three. Let's just say that. Okay. You know, closer than the six and a half. But yeah, we'll see how that how that goes. Uh, and then the final game of the night, we got an all Sunbelt on Sunbelt slate. Uh, eight o'clock Eastern time. Coastal is going to travel to Monroe to take on the Warhawks. Coastal is a 14 point road favorite. Uh, over under for this one is 58. Uh, I think Coastal is going to cover the 14. Um, I have. As as unimpressed as I left last week's game with Coastal's defense, I just don't think UL Monroe has the guys to to keep them in this game on offense. Um, and, and like I said, obviously statistically, Georgia Southern had has has talent on offense, mm-hmm. but UL Monroe and, and can make that a competitive game. But UL Monroe just doesn't. So like, I'm gonna take Coastal minus fourteen. Um, I think they win this one in a blowout. Yeah, I think uh, 14 should be pretty easily covered. Um, but what I want to talk about here is the over-under on that because like, I could see this game uh, similar to Arkansas State, but Coastal I think has a – I don't feel like super, super good at saying this, but I think Coastal has a better defense here So um, than Arkansas State. So like, I could see the final here being 42 42- 14 like somewhere in that realm so i think this is going to be like a real tight over under but i i I just like i don't see ulm scoring more than 17 so you need coastal to score at least 41 and that is a lot of points they uh they haven't scored more than um gosh 35 all season and that was against Nichols. so i'll take the under on uh on 58 no, I I agree with you. Um, when you when you bet an over under or when you bet an over, you need sort of both teams to be able to compete. And mm-hmm. I could just see this the final of this one being forty two to ten, coastal. Yeah, and like ULM didn't really contribute to the final score at all. So yeah, so that will pretty much wrap it up. Uh, Zeke, I, this is like I said, the first week that we're getting all Sunbelt on Sunbelt action. Uh, is there a game or games or anything like that that kind of stick out to you? And if, you know, you can go into detail on those, but 
let folks know where they can find you on social media. Uh, I mean, obviously, Brian, you and I are both going to be watching that state and Southern game. I'll be sure we'll be sharing text throughout that. Um, and I think that'll be a fun one because it'll be like, hey, is Southern legit? And hey, is Georgia going to get out of their slump? Uh, outside of that, I, I like Coastal and UL Monroe because um, I, I just think like UL Monroe has the ability to say, even, obviously they're going to lose, but I think they they have an ability to say like, hey, we're not the joke we were the past two years. Um, mm-hmm. but, so I'm on Twitter uh, at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. Uh, Brian, what games are you looking at? And I know you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm gonna be paying attention to the the Southern and State game, obviously. Um, I think the other game that that appeals to me is um, that Southern Miss Troy game that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a good opportunity for Troy to prove that they don't. They've sort of shed the demons of the previous seasons where they would play down to competition after it seemed like they had sort of figured some things out. Um, I mean, even though even though Southern Miss doesn't have a prolific offense, in previous seasons, Troy would play two really good defensive games, and then they'd allow Southern Miss to score like 31. And you'd mm-hmm. be like, what what happened? Why did they do this? So yeah, that's 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 the game uh, outside of Southern State that I'm looking for. Uh, to close out, you can find me on Twitter at Watch the Stone. This has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Mm-hmm.